Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1, and we continue the series that we're in, Women of Faith. As we look at some key female figures of faith in Scripture that have much to teach us about our own faith journey. Let me give you a little background as you're turning to 1 Samuel chapter 1. Uh, 1 Samuel begins approximately 11 B.C. It was just after the book of Judges leaves off. The children of Israel had entered the promised land, and they were, they were getting acclimated to the promised land, having conquered the promised land. And it was the end of the time of the Judges, and that was an up-and-down time uh, for the children of Israel and those 12 tribes as they were uh, understanding what it looks like to take up residence in the promised land. And here we are at 1 Samuel that really focuses. There's three main characters in 1 Samuel. There's Samuel, and there's Saul, and there's David, the first two kings of the nation of Israel, Saul and David. And we see the, the book of 1 Samuel ends with uh, Saul's death. And in this opening section, we have the, the birth of of Samuel. And Samuel was the last judge of Israel, the first prophet of Israel, and he was the kingmaker. He was the one that he was the one that 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 God had anoint Saul to be the first king, to anoint David to be the second king. It was Samuel who was the kingmaker. And today we will look at the story of the faithfulness, this woman of faith, Hannah, who is the mom of the kingmaker. So with that, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. There was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. And the name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peniah. And Peniah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, for those of you wondering, I practiced those names a lot, okay? Uh, and I tried to say them kind of fast so you wouldn't notice where I probably mispronounced some of it. Some of you are really good at that kind of thing. And you're like, he didn't pronounce that quite right, and you are probably right, but I did my best. So, uh, so Elkanah had two wives, Peniah and Hannah. And I just want to point out that you see that a few times in Scripture where someone had multiple wives. Every single time it does not go well. There are things in Scripture that are descriptive. It's just describing it. And there are other things that are prescriptive where it's telling you to do it. No one go out and get a second. Do not go out and get a second wife. Okay? That's not what Scripture is teaching. Again, every time we go away from God's original design, and we see God's original design for family in Genesis, where Adam, the man, marries woman, Eve, and those two make the family unit. And we see that, that design of God at the very beginning. And anytime we go outside that design, there's going to be grief. Now, we assume that Hannah, as Scripture says, that she's unable to have children because of that, that that's why Peniah went out and got another wife. Uh, El, El, I'm sorry, Elkanah went out and got Peniah this second wife because of, in their culture, Infertility was such a huge deal, and it was such a, a big thing having kids in that, in that culture that that was probably what was going on and kind of the why behind it. And it brings up probably for some of us uh, your own battle with infertility. And I would just say to you today, if that's part of your journey, that uh, you're in good company when it comes to great women of faith in Scripture. You have great women of faith like Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, 
Elizabeth in the New Testament, all great women of faith who also struggled and battled uh, infertility. And I, you know, if that's your story, if that's some of the, the heartache that you have experienced or maybe you do experience today, I just want to encourage you as, you, as we together look at Hannah's story, that, that that would be something that bring encouragement to you, that would bring hope to you, bring uh, just, just help as you watch and we look at Hannah's story together. Verse 3, it says, Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. And there were two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, and they were priests of the Lord. And on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peniah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her through the Lord, though the Lord had closed her womb. So Elkanah, this, we see, everything we see of him was that he was a godly man. He goes up, he takes his family to worship, he takes them to sacrifice uh, during what was a regular time, and this was in the time before the temple had been built, temple's built later, and so this has been the tabernacle uh, era, and the tabernacle was a place that was a, a portable place uh, for the Lord, but once they got to the promised land, they, they gave it a location in, uh, in Shiloh, and Shiloh, kind of in the middle of the country, was the place where everyone came to worship God. It was the, the center of worship. It was the, the place where the Jewish people would come and sacrifice and connect with God. And as they sacrificed, the law told them that they could take a portion of what they sacrificed for themselves. And so that's what Elkanah did. He took a portion, and then Scripture says that he gave portions to Paniah and her children. Notice that she has multiple children. That sons is plural, daughters is plural. You do the math, that's at least four children. But Hannah, Scripture says, had no children, but she got a double portion. Elkanah, despite the fact that she was unable to have children, Scripture says that he loved her. He gave more to her. And just imagine the dynamics in the family. You've got, you've, got, you've got one of the wives that has multiple children. You've got this other wife that can't have children, but, but he, the husband, loves her and giving her extra, giving her the double portion. It's just a recipe for, 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 a, variety, or for a reality TV show, <laughs> really. And let's uh, go on in the, in the text. And it says that her rival, verse 6, used to provoke her grievously to irritate her. Now, notice how she's described, how Paniah, the, the sister wife to Hannah, that she's described as the rival. There's a lot in that little phrase, the rival. Because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. And as often as she went to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat in the elk. Cana, her husband, said to her, Hannah, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? And so we see in this story, again, the toxic, toxic environment that was created. This toxic environment for Hannah. Her rival, it says, provoked her grievously. The NLT says that she would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because she couldn't have children. What horrible person does stuff like that? 
But is it not true that in our world there are still people that say horrible things to one another? I think we've all been on the receiving end of someone saying something horrible to us. And it so provoked her, it so, uh, it so grieved her. As scripture says as she's going to the house of worship, to the house of the Lord, this, this place to offer sacrifices, this place that should be this, this joyous occasion, this place that should be a, a worship-filled experience that, that's something that, that, that helps her, not hurts her, but it's into that place where, where Paniah is sheer, you're saying these horrible things, and it says she weeps, she can't eat. And again, as we think about our own lives, remember what the situation is that we've probably all had occasions where as a result of what's going on in our lives or what someone said to us, it so tears us up. Our, 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 our stomach churns to that degree that, that, we, that we weep and we, we can't even eat. Again, I think probably most of us, most of us have probably been there. And Scripture says that it went on year after year. But... Not to worry, just when we thought it was getting really bad and that, that Hannah, you know, is just on her own and she's going to struggle with this. In comes the all-wise husband, Elkanah, knowing just the right thing to say. Why are you eating? Why are you sad? You've got me. I'm better than ten sons. Now, what a reminder that husbands say some really dumb stuff sometimes. Any husbands admit that you say some really dumb stuff sometimes? Any wives want to admit today that you are married to someone that says some really dumb stuff sometimes? It's your chance, just so everybody can see. Yep, that's my husband. Anybody? Okay, you guys are so kind. If Crystal was here, were here, she would be like totally raising her hand. Um, I say some dumb stuff sometimes. And that's, that's him. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord, and she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your son, your servant, a son. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. Hannah's struggling. I mean, she's really struggling. She's struggling with the inability to have children in this culture where that is so important. It is so ingrained in them. She's struggling in her own self, I'm sure. But then there's this other sister wife that is harassing her, this constant mocking that adds insult to injury. And in her distress, she turns to the Lord. She prays and she weeps. And she gets to the point that many of us have gotten to. And yeah, the situation is different, and the circumstances are different, and the, uh, the gender is different. <laughs> you know, we may, may not be around children or whatever, but we've, many of us have gotten to that point where we, we, we try to strike a deal with God. God, if you do this, then I'll do that. God, if you heal this, if you work this out, if you give me this job, if you let that person that I like like me back, all the things, and we say, if God, you do this, I will do that. How many of us have struck a deal with God? 
If you give me a son, if you take away my affliction, then I'll give him back to you. And we feel her pain and we understand what she's going through. And we understand her desperation that she's so desperate that she gets to the point where she's trying to make a deal with God. And yeah, we've prayed some variation on the theme, but we get it. And as she continued to pray before the Lord, verse 12 says, Eli, is the high priest, observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. And therefore, for Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. So the high priest, Eli, he thought as he watches her, as he observes her praying, and she's, she's moving her mouth but not saying the words out loud, and some of us pray that way. And she's so, so intense in her prayer. She's so broken in her spirit, and she's so grieved that it's all over her face. And, and she's not thinking about what, how she looks or, or what someone else is thinking. She's so just in the moment with God. And she's not saying it out loud, but she's just, she's just talking to herself and talking to God. She's so desperate that when he looks at her, he thinks she's drunk. It's so odd the way contortions of her face and all the things. She desperately pours out her soul. She's honest with God. She's real with God. And then Eli answers, well, go in peace. And the God of Israel, grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. And then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. So Eli, he responds when she says what's going on, and, and she tells him what's really happening. And, oh, I'm not drunk here. I'm just, I'm just crying out to the Lord, and here's what's going on in my life. And I don't know, we really don't, I can't tell whether Eli had gotten a word from the Lord and God wanted him to tell her, hey, you know what? You go home. I'm going to give you a child. We don't know if that's the, if that's what was going on. And that's why he said, he gives those comforting words to her that it's going to be okay, that that God's going to provide. Or if maybe he just sees this woman and he sees how she's crying out and he sees how broken she is. And he knows that someone that is so broken and so persistent and so is crying out to God, that surely God's going to answer we don't know. But what she, he says to her brings peace and encouragement that helps her. And she goes away comforted. And she's able to eat something and the, the bonds, the chains of her sorrow and her, her, you know, that she's been dragging around for all these years are finally broken. And I just want to encourage you, who in your life is in that state like Hannah is in? And who does God want you to speak words of life and speak words of encouragement? How are you known to people? Are you the one that, that binds people up with chains? Or through your words, like Eli, as God used him, are you a part of breaking people's chains? So they rose early in the morning and they worshiped before the Lord and they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. 
I love that even before the prayer is answered, that she chooses to worship. That she, she, she goes and she worships the Lord, even though everything hasn't worked out, that she, we see in her, and, and, and we saw it when she goes year after year, and in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the, really the persecution of the, her sister wife, she continues to be faithful and continues to pray to the Lord and continues to trust Him and continues to worship. She really models for us this lifestyle of worship. And so then she goes home. And she trusts God that God is going to do his part. And as she and Elkanah do their part, and we'll leave it at that. And the Lord does the miraculous. And because the Lord and what he did, she conceives. Notice it says in due time. We really don't know how long that is. But if you look at the original language, you know, we know that it was a period of time. So it was some time. We don't know how long, but over this period of time, she finally is able to to have this child, to, to give birth to Samuel. And as she gives birth, she names him Samuel, which is a name that just gives honor to God. He's the one that gave me this child, and I'm going to honor him. And, and people would have known that that's what his name represents. And then verse 21, the man Okana and his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I'll bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she had weaned him. So it came back. Time uh, came around again. Time to go to Shiloh. To time to uh, go and worship and to make sacrifices to go back after the child was born uh, to worship again. And Hannah says, no, I'm not going to go back. I'm going to wait. I'm going to keep my word, but I'm going to wean the child first. And what we notice in the context is that she had, uh, she was basically going to give Samuel and he was going to live a, out a Nazarite type vow. And we don't have time to go into that a whole lot, but she's going to give him back to the Lord and he's going to be raised at the temple and he's going to be uh, basically given to the Lord, a life devoted to God next weekend. Um, some of you are going to dedicate your children back to the Lord in a very similar type way. You're going to say, God, you gave me this child. I give this child back to you. Help me, use me to raise this child up in the way that you want me to, to honor you, to glorify you, and to teach my child that you've blessed me with about you and your ways. And so that's what uh, we see a little bit modeled here. And so uh, Hannah says, I, I'll go up and just notice that even... Thick-skulled men can learn something occasionally, and notice he does much better with what he says this time. He's like, okay, whatever you say, honey. Uh, you, you don't have to. Well, you know, may the Lord help you as you do that. And so, and so she weans the child, and we think, well, we're thinking about just to a point where the child, whatever, is on solid food. Whatever, that, it's, it's more than that. So scholars say probably this process that he's talking about is much more than that. So probably the child was four, five, six, even seven years of age. Uh, when she finally took the child uh, back to the temple to, to fulfill that vow that she had made. And she keeps her word. It says that when she had weaned him, she took him back, verse 24, with her along with a three-year-old bull, an elf, uh, ephah of flour, a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. And they slaughtered the bull and they brought the child to Eli. So again, she keeps her word. 
She brings this, what would have been a very, very, if you look at the way sacrifices were done, a very generous offering back to Shiloh. And she offers it to the Lord as she offers Samuel back. And she fulfills her vow, this word. And I don't know about you, I know that probably most of us have struck some deal with God. Have you kept your word? Some deal when someone was sick or ill or you have an issue and uh, job or whatever it was or a period of your life where you you said, God, I'm going to give you blank and, and will you do blank? And God did his part. So this is the simple question as you look back. Have you kept your word? And what we see in Hannah is she kept her word. We've seen her faith. We've seen her, her in her struggle continue to trust God and worship God. And so we've seen that, and now we observe her obedience. We observe her faithfulness. And she brings Samuel, the child, back. And in verse 26, as she's talking to Eli, the high priest, and she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped there. She brings Samuel back. Back to the temple, back or to the tabernacle, back to Eli, the priest. And she reminds him, hey, I'm that. You remember me? I'm the drunk woman. I'm that woman that you thought was crazy, that was praying because uh, I wasn't able to have uh, children. And, and now here I am. And, and so she's got little Samuel there with her. Can you imagine the conversation? Oh, and by the way, uh, he's going to come live with you now? <laughs> Here is your new child that you're going to raise. And I don't know if they'd worked that out ahead of time or, or he'd got the memo ahead of time or if she sent an email, you know, ahead of time about what was going to happen. But it's just kind of interesting to me imagining the dynamic of Hannah and Eli having this conversation about, yes, and I'm going home and I'm leaving him with you. And that, no one else found that funny. Okay, that's right. We'll, we'll move on. She kept her deal, kept her word, and she brings the child back. And the story, I just love how the story started with worship of God. And as she brings Eli back, we see again her acknowledging and her gratefulness to God for what he's done. Her worship that she gives back. And it's a powerful full story of faith in the midst of struggle and pain. It's a powerful story of how we can continue to, to, to trust God in the midst of of what's going on in our own lives, even when other people are being so hurtful and hateful, but we can continue to trust our God. And so real quickly in the time that we have left, let me just talk about some of the lessons I think we need to leave today from Hannah that Hannah can teach us about our own life. The first thing I would say is that God loves us unconditionally. We need to get that. It's important for us to be reminded of God's love, that you are valuable to God, whether you can or have had children or not, you matter to God. And don't let anyone tell you differently. Don't let even, uh, don't let our enemy whisper anything in your ear. Don't, don't believe your own things that sometimes we whisper to ourselves about ourselves. God loves you, not for what you've done, not for who you are, not for the children or not children that you've produced. God loves you. And you matter to him. 
The second thing, God's timeline's flawless. Hannah had gone over and over and over it, years. I mean, just do the math. There's four children here, at least multiple years. It says year after year. And she'd been barren and childless and she had prayed and she had grieved and she had endured pain for all of that time, but she remains faithful. And then when the time was right, she didn't give up. And when the time was right, she has that child according to God's plan. God's timing's flawless. And I would encourage you to choose to trust God's flawless timeline. And I know you're sharp and you got a lot on the ball and you know a lot of good stuff. And you know, I, because I'm this way too, that if every, all the dumb people would just stop doing dumb things and if everybody would just do what you think they ought to do, how life and this world would rotate just so much more efficiently if everyone just did what you thought. I get it. I live that way too. But maybe, just maybe, spitballing here, could we trust the God that breathed this world into existence, whose ways, Scripture tells us, are higher than our ways, and even though we think this should be the timeline of whatever we're thinking about in our life, maybe, just maybe, like Hannah, we can choose to trust God. And when the time was right, God reveals to her how she fits in to this plan of what he's up to. Will you choose to trust his timeline in your life. Another thing that I think is really important for us to get is that prayer has the power to transform. And I love how Hannah, even though she's been disappointed and things haven't worked out right, and it's been years of disappointment and pain that she models for us that she doesn't give up and she keeps praying and she keeps trusting and that prayer has the power we see in her to transform. And there is absolutely this juxtaposition. We have this idea on the one hand that, that God is sovereign, that God can do all things, that God has this great grand meta narrative that he's doing in the world and he's, he's accomplishing this, this, these grand things. But at the same time, we're over here and we're praying and we're seeking God and we're asking for things and we're interceding and we're praying and that God can answer our prayer as we call out on him, as we, we ask him for things and that God is big enough to hold these two things in tension and listen to us and move. God's big enough to answer our prayers. Prayer has the power to transform. God answered her prayer. Hannah's, Hannah's fervent, faithful, persistent prayer was answered, and Samuel is born. And friends, that same God has the power to transform, be inspired by her example, by her faithfulness. Another thing I think that Hannah teaches us, models for us, is this idea that God is the owner and we are just the stewards. And it reminds us that she gives, after she's waited and waited and waited all these years, but she's willing to give Samuel back. And she doesn't go back on her promise. She keeps her promise and she gives him back. This reminder that everything is God's, our children, everything, ultimately God's. And we think that we may own it, but everything we touch, everything that is ours, we will, will someday be someone else's. We're not taking any of it with us. And so it's a really good reminder a good reminder that the, the financial, the material resources, the possessions we have, they're God's. We're stewards of them. The reminder that, 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 that 
that our time that we have been given, the short time on this earth, the, until, you know, until we're called home, all of us, that, that it's God's and we're stewards of this time, that we're stewards of the skills and the abilities and the giftedness that he gives us. We are stewards of the children that he gives, gives to us. We invest in them and then we launch them out. They're not ours. We are stewards of them. And Hannah models that. That those most critical years, the, from birth to five, six, seven years of age, how critical those years are. And Hannah invested in Samuel and she loved Samuel. I'm sure that, that he grew up knew, knowing that you are special and that God, God did miraculous things to get you here. And God's got a plan for you. And, and one day I'm gonna, you're going to go back and, and, and you're going to do great things. I don't know what God's got in store, but and that's the, what we have the privilege at a young age to speak life into our children it matters that they see us on fire for Christ. There's a family, they dedicated their baby, their infant, to the Lord in a service. And on their way home, after that baby dedication, they were in the car, and little Johnny, who's the older sibling, he's still young, still young, not an infant, and he is crying in the back seat. And, and mom is trying to console. Johnny's just inconsolable. And, and like, Johnny, what's wrong? Why are you crying? He, 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 he says through his tears, well, it's what that pastor said. He's like, what, well, what did the pastor say? Well, the pastor said that, that he wanted us, talking about the two of them, he wanted us to grow up in a Christian home, and I want to live with you guys. <laughs> Kids know. Kids are watching us. And we can't say one thing and live another. They get it. Another thing I think that we learn from Hannah is we're almost done is that gratitude transforms our perspective. Hannah, in her, in her brokenness, she chooses to trust the words of Eli and stop listening to Paniah, the sister wife. She, she chooses gratitude and she worships the Lord and she trusts that God's going to grant her request. And she chooses gratitude. She chooses to, to worship God and she trusts that he's going to grant what he said or what she's praying, and she has a change of perspective. And it says that she wasn't sad anymore. And friends, there's power in gratitude. There's power in trust. There's power in faith. God blesses her. And if you, if you look at the next chapter, we don't have time to look at it, but First Samuel chapter 2, and the, the, it's just a beautiful expression of her gratitude as she praises the Lord and honors the Lord as, as she just talks about her faithfulness, talks about the goodness of, of God. And you see it in there as the power we see in her life to transform her perspective. And the final thing, a big time takeaway for us today, is that sacrificial obedience is the catalyst for kingdom advance. And we see that throughout Scripture. We see it in the life of Hannah, that as she is, is, is she's willing to sacrifice, her son is born, and, and, and with his birth, that she, she keeps her word and she sacrifices him back to the Lord, dedicating him that Nazarite vow that, that is fulfilled to live in the temple, to be raised by Eli. God shapes him to be the final judge of Israel, to be the first prophet of Israel, to be literally the kingmaker. And that sacrificial obedience became the catalyst for this plan of redemption 
that Samuel needed to be king, David needed to be king, and that, that Samuel was the kingmaker. He's being used to accomplish this grand purpose that God has. And I'm reminded, and I hope you'll be reminded, of how you can be a part of God's grand plan. That how your sacrificial obedience that you think is insignificant and doesn't really matter like Hannah thought her life didn't matter or whatever, but God used it in powerful ways to advance his kingdom. And how will God use you? I love that I'm a part of a church that so many of you get that. And our living lives of sacrificial obedience and how God is using you to do amazing things and with us, to use us together to do amazing things. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up. So how is God speaking to you today? What's God encouraging you with today? What's he challenging you with today? What's he reminding you of today? Moms, grandmothers, what, what in the story of Hannah is inspiring to you? What is God teaching you? What, how, how can you be like she was, a great woman of faith? And for all of us, I would just remind us as we conclude that all of this points us, as always, Scripture does, to Jesus. And Jesus is the ultimate. We see in Hannah, we see in her what sacrificial obedience looks like. But it's in Jesus that we see ultimately what that looks like. As he, in obedience, came, sent by the Father, came so that we could have life and life more abundantly, came that by his sacrifice that we could be reconnected with God, that our sins could be forgiven, sins paid for on the cross, his sacrificial obedience. Have you invited him to be your Savior? We'd love to help you with that journey. We'd love to have a personal conversation with you. A start to that could be texting the word Jesus to 269-261-8692. Again, Jesus, text Jesus to 269-231-8692. And we'd love to let that be a start of a dialogue with you. We'd love to send you some resources, but also have that conversation. What's God saying to you? Let's stand, and as we sing this song together, to just invite Christ to speak to you. What are you willing to say to him? Are you willing to give it all back? And Father, so as we sing this song, may these words help us to just say to you what's in our heart, what's deep within us, God, our desire to give our lives to you, to offer, as Hannah did, everything to you. We worship you today in Christ's name.